So a guy called Ian got in contact with me on social media and then we had a telephone conversation and he said to me, look, I'm not a big criminal. And I thought, well, that's quite good because if you big yourself up, you might not be as interesting as perhaps someone who says, look, I want to speak to you and I'd like to tell you some stories. And that's exactly what he did. I went to Nottingham to meet him. I went to his flat. We had a cup of tea and he explained what it's like to be a heroin addict for 10 years to deal heroin in order to fund his addiction and why he chose to be a dealer rather than alternative actions, his relationship to other dealers and to other addicts, about going in and out of jail, about the darkest moment in his life when he tried to kill himself and the reason for doing that. But most importantly, he speaks about recovery. He's been clean for six years. He's now works in drugs rehabilitation, helping other people who've been through what he's been through. What I enjoyed about this conversation was it was a real eye-opener. There is a stigma attached to, to drug addiction. And to play devil's advocate, I understand, but I didn't really consider just how much of a stigma there was. And when I left, Ian thanked me and said, look, thank you for listening and thank you for not thinking that I'm junky scum. And it never entered my head to think that. What I saw was a very insightful man. And I think he's insightful because he's had to go through Narcotics Anonymous and really reflect upon his life. So it made for a fascinating conversation and one that I really have had to think about this introduction because I want people to listen to this one. It's a very significant one and it stayed with me. I learned a tremendous amount. I called it the rattle and there's a reason why I called it that. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to ask you to share it as I always do. And this is a conversation without wanting to overstate it could actually save somebody's life. This is Ian and this is the rattle. My name's Ian and I'm an addict. How, how difficult is that to say the first time? It was quite easy, if I'm honest. Um, so the, 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 the identification as an addict is something that I picked up from Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and I was introduced to that via rehab uh, after about six weeks of having been in there. And so like the word addict, it's um, shrouded in shame and stigma and guilt and people will use it to cuss people down and stuff. And my understanding of that word now uh, is very different. Um, me identifying as an addict has been able to give me solutions to my problems rather than creating more problems. Um, the problems that I had initially, uh, which led me to the stuff we'll talk about later, uh, was my incapacity to tolerate life on life's terms. And my identification as an addict is, is what brings me into the work that I embarked upon that helped me be able to meet life on life's terms. Um, it's a 12-step theatre of recovery um, that I kind of went through, that I utilised, that I helped introduce other people to, and part of that for, for me was identifying as an addict. Initially it was alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous, from, okay. from the big book and all that stuff. But that's that. So... In regards to me identifying that way, I, I'm cool with it. I've wore worse labels. I've been given worse labels by other people that I've met in life. You know, um, like a dickhead. And I, and I kind of wore that like a badge. For years I was a con, what, whatever. Um, so the word addict doesn't contain shame for me because I've resolved the shame that led me to the point of addiction. Right, okay. And now because I no longer use drugs, I, f I find that uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with that terminology. I think... Because <laughs> when when I was using drugs, 
Um, I didn't want anybody to know about it. And then after stopping using drugs, I mean, if I take heroin, for instance, I was using heroin for 10 years and I wouldn't admit that to anybody. But as soon as I stopped using it, I didn't mind who knew about it because it's no longer part of me. It's a part of my past that I've kind of closed the door on. And so I'm cool with people knowing that stuff. Um, and same for many other behaviours that I engaged in. Um, talking about it retrospectively, I'm cool with who knows it because I've made made peace with it. So... I would I would never have called myself an addict whilst I was in active addiction. Yeah. Okay. Well, c- can you take me back then to before you were an addict and what led you to that point of okay. becoming one, please? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, so growing up, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Um, it's a familiar story, one that I've heard a thousand times in the rooms. Um, I didn't feel equal to my peers. Um, I felt separate, isolated, alone and scared a lot of the time. I find a group of people who I looked up to, um, they, they were kind of the bullies. It was like I'd, I was looking up to the bullies in school um, and I became the runt of the litter because I was too scared to be violent. So I didn't stick up for myself. So I kind of allowed myself to be connected by extension to this crowd of people who weren't going to take shit off anybody who all started to use drugs a little bit later on. I suppose... Um, the key figure in that back then was my stepbrother, uh, Jack, when I was about 11 years old. Um, I looked up to him, he was cool, the girls loved him at that time, he, he hanging around with the big lads and all that other stuff. And um, Smoking buckets with the lads looked to be my way into that crowd and so that's what I did. And then other stuff started presenting over the years, um, acid and amphetamine and stuff. And then... I started getting into crime, shop theft to fund me going out and smoking cannabis all night, basically. Shop theft is what actual shoplifting or yeah, yeah, stealing, to... stealing from the shops, selling the um, the winnings uh, to go and buy more cannabis became order of the day. I was skipping school and going off and shoplifting, and and then spending most of my time in the woods smoking buckets. I had very little drive or ambition. I didn't know what I wanted out of life, didn't believe that I could achieve anything. Um, Consequently, it became very easy to pitch myself headlong into debauchery and and drug abuse. Um, And yet, does it not take a certain amount of focus to be able to be organised enough to go and steal from a shop? Because, I mean, there's a knack to that, isn't there? There definitely is, yeah. And... um, and so, so as an addict, I'm going to title to this. I suppose it's part of human nature in reality, but it's aspects, different aspects of human nature, and certain parts of it I tie into the word addict just because it's familiar to me. Um, but I'm, I'm negative in nature. I'll, I'll view things negatively myself first and foremost. And so, I mean, I remember so many times like being in prison and doing these back to work type courses and groups and things where they try and train you up, get ready to. Um, reintroduce you into society and they ask you about um, skills, qualities, what skills and qualities do you have and I had none, I'd sit there staring at a blank piece of paper, I had none, I didn't know about transferable skills, I didn't know about the diligence and determination stuff because I mean heroin addiction is a 24 hour day job, it it is very intense. Um, Can you talk me through um, 24 hours and the life of a heroin addict, I'd be genuinely interested. It's very dull and boring if I'm honest, it turned me into an automaton. Uh, it stole any confidence that I did have, which wasn't a lot. I mean, I, I was I was a skinny little boy who turned into a skinny little man. I was um, scared of conflict. 
Uh, I was irresponsible. I was scared of being responsible. So I lied about everything. I was never going to admit to anything. Um, and by extension, that left me feeling separate to everybody and everything around me. Um, the easiest way I find to deal with that was to mask it. And I mean, heroin... If you read the news, a lot of it is accurate. It is a nasty drug and it will steal your soul, but it's fucking brilliant for covering up any insecurities because you don't give a shit about anything. Um, so this this thing that I term an addict, part of that is it is selfish in nature and fully self-serving, self-seeking, self-conscious, everything but self-aware, I think. Um, and the reason I got into heroin was because a friend of mine uh, was buying a bag of heroin instead of chucking in on a ten a bit of hash with me. And so I thought, well, fuck that. I'm not sharing that with you. If you're having one of them, get me one of them. Um, it was horrible. I didn't really enjoy it, but for some reason it clawed me back in. I think after the throwing up and back going blind and deaf uh, that I experienced on that first use-up, there was still a comfort that it gave me. There must have been for me to continue doing it for a further ten years. Um, I've, I've looked back at that day and it doesn't make sense to me now, but I know it happened because I was there when it did happen. And the and so you were you were stealing from shops in order to fund heroin addiction as well. What what else did you do to fund it? Um, shamefully, one of the biggest things I did was leech off my grandmother. Um, she was naive and I capitalised on that. Um, fuck it, it's been it's been a while since I've looked at that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sure it has, and I'm not. Look, I'm not here to, as I said, I'm not here to no, no, I'm, I'm cool with it. I, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't have answered that way if, if I didn't, if I wasn't willing to at least explore it with you a little bit. I do know um, that part of the twelve step um, plan is to make amends. Did were you able to make amends to your grandma? Kind of. Um, so, in two thousand August the first two thousand and eight, I went to prison for two years and eight months for a burglary in possession of two fiver bags of heroin. Um, during that sentence, contact with my grandmother fell off for quite a while. And I got concerned, worried, scared like you do, because you write the, the worst case scenarios in your head without any information. And so I assumed that she died and I didn't know about it. I'd not been told because communication's not great between prison and the outside world. Um, thankfully, I was... I, <coughs> so I've, I've, I've been shipped off to another prison. During that prison sentence, I got... Um, a security issue stopped me being able to engage with a course that I wanted to do. And what so was the course? It was a track work. Um, in fact, no, it wasn't. Track work got with withdrew. So working on the railroads, it got withdrew for another for another reason. Um, the admin wasn't doing the work. I wanted to do an auto technician course, um, but somebody had sent me um, drugs in the post that had got found by the staff. They weren't able to actually directly pin it on me, so I didn't get another charge. But there was enough of a security flag to withdraw the possibility of me doing that course. And at that point, I decided, well, I'll go for Cat D, Hope in Prison, uh, and I'll also put in for Tag and I'll see what comes out of it. I had no intentions at the start of my sentence to do either of those two things. I'd, I'd never ever thought that I'd get it or really wanted to commit to it because I thought the um, desire to run off might have been too high and then may end up with further time. Um, and so on the 8th of October 2009, I got released on uh, HDC, Home Detention Curfew, moved into a hostel in Bullwell, not far from here. Okay. Um, and on the 10th of October, I went over to Kirkby, where my grandmother lived. And I'd still not heard anything from her for about a year at that point. So I'm going there and it's solemn marks to Kirkby. And 
I'm writing the stories in my head that she's probably gone and I get there and I knock on the door. My dad answers the door and he lets me in and my grandma, thankful, was sat there. Um, and I think back to, to the years that I spent going to my grandmother's and borrowing money off her with, with the intention, at least in the moment, to pay her back. But then when I do have some money, that's immediately find its way into my dealer's pocket again and again and again. Um and over the course of about six weeks, I spent time with my grandmother and actually listened to her for the first time ever because the issue with, like, when I was on heroin, the, continually you've just got this voice in your head and it's just going, I need a bag, 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 and don't shut the fuck up. That's all I had for, like, ten years. And that's what I mean by uh, repetitive and robotic because it's just like that's just driving you, willing you forward to just do something, anything, out of sheer desperation most of the time just to get another fix because the the alternative to that is too scary in that moment. Actually doing a rattle was, was horrifying. I, I wouldn't want to put myself through that pain. Um, and so I put everybody else through pain to avoid it. It's, it's fucking horrific, it is. Um, so then over the course of about six weeks... Uh, I'd, I'd be listening to her and I'd tidying up for her for once because I never did anything for her beforehand and spending time with her and stuff. And it was really nice. And then um, she got rushed to hospital on the 15th of November 2009 and she died on the 22nd and my release date wasn't until the 30th. Mm-hmm. So I would have missed it had I not gone for tag. So I was so grateful for that after. Do you know what I mean? So that I could spend that little bit of time because I think I've still got some shame around it, which I've not fully resolved. Because uh, I mean, yeah, you can you can do an indirect amends, and, and the way that I live now is an indirect amends, an indirect amends, and kind of honouring her memory. But there's that bit that I know she didn't get, and do you know do you know what I mean by that? I think so. Yes, I do think so. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of okay with who I am and where I'm at now. But, but there is still an element that I don't think I can ever feel like I've fully made, made an amends to her for. Well, there's never enough time to say goodbye to somebody when they die anyway in, no. and in life. And I'm, that, that, that's certainly how I view it and that's how I'm relating to it on that level anyway. Um, can I, I'd like to ask you about being an addict in prison because someone said to me the other day, oh, you can get anything in prison. <laughs> is that true? Um, it, it is, um, but I never bothered. And so, so like I said like earlier on about my fear of being responsible and having responsibilities, I had no responsibilities in prison, so I had no fear. After the first sentence where, yes, I was shit scared because I've seen prison films and I don't want fucking in the ass, <laughs> when I find out I'm not going to get fucked in the ass, I was kind of okay with prison. And I'm glad as well because I wouldn't have been able to afford it and I'd have ended up being stabbed or something because people get serious about that shit in there. Um, Do they really? What 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 happens? People are getting are going to get stabbed over a fiver in prison, without a shadow of a doubt. In fact, I'm so glad that my prison time happened back then and not now, while all this member shit's happening, because that's just made the whole scene so much worse. Yeah, I think for anyone listening, member is I know roughly what it, it's. Um... It's, it's supposedly a legal high, isn't it? So is it... it? It was legal. They changed the legislation on it a couple of years ago. So they call them MPSs, novel psychoactive substances. And what they've done is they've, they've attempted to emulate the effects of certain drugs, amphetamines um, and ecstasy and stuff, and then change the chemical structure of it to make it legal. Uh, on the continent, how it used to be is that they had to prove the effectiveness to to humanity to make it legal. 
but with our system it's you had to prove that it wasn't effective to make it illegal which is how they were getting around the system they changed the chemical chemical structure a bit and it keeps it legal um, and then they put on the little packaging not fit for human consumption and gets away with not even putting an ingredients list on it it's a horrific sell um, and, and you're seeing the people in the streets at the minute where they they look like they're under demonic possession um, and people are really going ruthless for that stuff in prison at the minute how does it get into prison I and mean, this is what i don't understand so i mean like if, if you was to buy a bag of mamba um what what they do is is they take the synthetic chemical and they'll spray some form of herb with it and um, just so, so that it replicates the appearance a little to cannabis and that's why they they, they called it um cannabinoids well i can't remember what they were calling it but but regardless um, so in in effect, it's just a liquid chemical by the time they've mixed it up and they'll spray envelopes with it and you, you can just basically eat it or smoke it, whatever. Blimey. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I had no idea. That goes to show how na- naive I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you were naive. I mean, you, you didn't need to know. No. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one of the things that if you're not in the system, there's, there's nothing wrong with not knowing it. I admire the fact that you want to know. Yeah, no, I do, I do. I I want to ask you as well about, I'm not asking about specific individuals, but can you tell me about the relationship when you are an addict and you're using, the relationship that you have with a drug dealer? Because I wonder, I there's part of me, and this is me really not trying to judge in any way, but I can't help thinking, well, it's the drug, it's not like me going down to the shops and buying a newspaper, but there is a business transaction, isn't there? And do they take advantage? And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth now. No, but, no. but do dealers take liberties with, with users? I think I, I don't think it's as clean cut as that because I've had many different relationships with, with people who sold me drugs and, and vice versa when, when I was selling drugs and people buying from me. Um, what were you selling? Heroin. I got three years for it back in 2001. Okay. okay. Um, so, yeah, so some drug dealers... Uh, um, I like get in, get out types. Here's your stuff, bugger off. They'll sell you exactly what you pay for because they want you coming back. Others um, are, are going to be, like, may, maybe not got as much money as they want or they're greedy and I've done this myself. I've done the first, first myself. I've done this myself where I'll end up selling them less than what they're paying for because my habit is too much for what it is that I'm selling. So I'll end up undercutting, um, underselling people. Um and some I've been mates with, you know, we was mates before and mates after, because it's, um, and it, <laughs> people just keep going round and round in circles in that, and so one day you're the dealer and, and Bob's coming round for a fix, and the next day Bob's selling and you're going to whisper for a fix, and, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, so some people out there um, have incredible will and resolve and are able to sell drugs without using them. I think um, Biggie said it, never get high on your own supply. Um, the, and I suppose that would work brilliantly if uh, you were selling before you even contemplate taking it. Although I've known people do that and then end up, well, I'll just have a try and then the next minute they're on their arse and out there begging for 10p in the street or whatever. Uh, for me, it was preferable for me to sell drugs than to either borrow another tenner off my grandmother or go shoplifting. Because 
I knew every time I was borrowing another 10 off my grandmother, I was straining that relationship more. And every time I went shoplifting, I was running the risk of getting caught. And I knew if I was going to sell drugs, it's going to take the police at least eight weeks to build a case against me. So I've got eight weeks where I know I'm not going to get nicked unless I'm stupid enough to sell to a officer in the street. What about the person who's supplying you? Because presumably the higher you go up the food chain, for want of a better expression, the more dangerous it gets. So, I mean, was it... Could could you have gone up a level from from feeding your own habit and supplying your mates to the next level? Are you able to tell me what that next level is, or is that okay? Um, so so in reality, to, to, <laughs> I, I was very low on the ladder. Like uh, I would just put in a little fiver bags and stuff. I was too scared of violence. I was, I was far too scared of violence and I wasn't prepared to hurt people to the level that you need to be to work your way up that ladder. What do you have, what extremes do you have to go to? As I mean, it's, it's not so much about what you have to go to, it's about what you're prepared to go to and that the other people know that you're prepared to go there is enough of a deterrent for them to come and try and play with you. Okay. It's like, if, if they believe they're going to get stabbed, yeah. then they're not likely to come and play about with me. But if they don't think they're going to get stabbed... They'll come and try and steal my stuff at Knife Point. Um, that happened a couple of times. You, Someone stole your stuff at Knife Point? Yeah. Was it other addicts? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I guess that if, if this is something that, that you need and it's more important than anything else, that's what motivates someone to come at you with a knife then. Because of course. For you to value somebody else's life that little to take you to that level is definitely not normal. It's not human nature to do that. Um However, it's not just drugs that take people there because we see people taking lives all the time. Yes. Um, as, as it stands, what you're going to see in the media is it's all going to be based around drugs. And to some degree or another, it, that's definitely true because there's a lot of money in it and people want the money. So in reality, it's got nothing to do with drugs. And if you could get, if you could get the same amount of kudos, power and finances off the back of a pint of milk, people would be stabbing each other over a pint of milk. That's amazing. So, it is that. So there is kudos and power then in being a drug dealer. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's you're not going to get on on TV off the back of it, but you're going to impress those who are impressed by such things. I mean, like everybody's into something, aren't they? Um, and so, if if you like music, and somebody starts playing an instrument, you're immediately going to be warmer to them. And if you like taking heroin and somebody happens to have half ounce in their pocket, you're going to warm to them. Um. So you can't have this level of insight into your own behaviour and the impact that it had on people without having really thought about it. No, um... So, I mean, there was nothing else to do whilst in prison but think about it. But sadly, I'd only ever view it from a shame of, hurt from an angle of shame and fear. Um, so, shame for the past and fear for it's going to happen again. So, like, the first step uh, in the fellowships, in the 12-step fellowships, is we admitted we were powerless over dot, 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 and that our lives have become unmanageable. Um how do you reach that conclusion? I know, I know, I know, and I'm being flippant when I say that. But you've been on heroin for ten years, and then what was there? Just a, a, a moment where you thought, "I need, I need to change now." So before we get into all that, yeah. so um, so heroin, 
the, the, the trouble with heroin, like the first two years of it, I, I was a bit blase about what it was that I was doing. I was kind of interested and um, still excited by what it was that I was doing. I was enjoying taking it because I didn't know what a rattle was. I was taking it a couple of times a week and it was doing what I believed I wanted it to do at the time and there were very few negative consequences. By a rattle, you mean the withdrawal? Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's called a rattle for a reason because that's pretty much what you do for four days solid. You just, like, it's like vibrating. And you could power a small town in Hertfordshire off the back of the energy when you're vibrating away. Um, but it's like it's like a love hate relationship, and you love it fifty one uh, love it fifty one percent and hate it forty nine. And until the balance shifts, so that you lo- uh, hate it more than you love it, nothing will change. And when it does shift, you need immediate help. And so, like, I'd get to that point, and I would try and get a detox or a script or take myself away or whatever it was that I was choosing to do, um, and it wouldn't happen immediately. Then the balance would shift back, and I'd end up back on heroin again. Um, the sentence that I received in 2008 just happened to land at a time where I hated it more than I loved it. And so getting back on it from that point was never an option. It's never entered my mind. I've never contemplated is it a good, is a good idea since. I didn't need to, any further interventions from any services. I didn't need ongoing support to tell me that I don't need to take heroin anymore. But the trouble was is after I got out of that sentence, I found alcohol. Uh, and where heroin had stripped me of all confidence, alcohol, you know what alcohol does. Yeah. Everybody knows, yeah. And, oh, and yeah. bravado and stuff. And and so I kind of went the other way with my behaviour, where I was passive and shy and hiding and avoiding conflict. I went out aggressive and seeking out conflict. And because I'd always felt bullied, I ended up challenging what I perceived to be injustice and inadvertently becoming a bully myself. Um, and it wasn't until I quit drinking that I started seeing all that. I thought I was all right because I was actually sleeping well instead of lying awake at night in shame and fear like I was previously. Um, but with, with whilst I was drinking, what happened is um, I, I became too unpredictable, so lots of people distanced themselves from me. They didn't, they didn't like what I represented. I wasn't violent, but people didn't know that. Sure. Um, and so they'd avoid me just out of the possibilities that I And you say people, people in your social circles? Yeah, my friends, family. Um, I, I'd just kick off at nothing. Um, I, I kind of know why now. It's because in reality, I felt disempowered in my own life and unable to take control uh, and move forward positively. And so I was taking it out on other people. I know that now. At the time, I thought that people were just pissing me off and needed telling about themselves. And so that's what I was doing, um, which is never acceptable. <laughs> Nobody yeah. likes that. Uh, but I couldn't see that. I was too blinkered. Uh, and so... Poor life choices led me to prison a few more times. I ended up on the streets, um, lonely, isolated, scared, and unwilling to accept that I was any of those things. I was deep in denial. Um, and so, denial is a big part of the thing that keeps you from getting to step one. And one day I was in um, Mansfield District Council offices with a friend who was putting in an application for eyes and whatever. Um, and some bloke came up to me and he told me about a dry house in Nottingham that would help move me on. Uh, that's all That's all the information he told me. So it was basically a hostel in Nottingham is what he told me. And I spent two weeks pondering this and I thought, well, why am I going to do that? My life's here in Mansfield. Uh, and then I had a sobering thought, briefly, before I got pissed again, where I thought, what fucking life? And so I thought I'd go along, go along and have a little look. And it was, um, it was a rehab in Baseford called Studio Ass. Um, and I didn't know it was a rehab until I got in there, but I don't know, there was something that I, f- I felt hope as soon as I walk in, walked in there. Um, and it was that 
that I capitalised on. So the step one where we admitted we were powerless, that wasn't how it was for me. It was I was told I was powerless and I just went, yeah, probably, fuck it, why not? Let's go along with that and see what happens. And so that was my first step. Um, but then, so the second step, uh, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the third step, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives into the care of God as we understood him. I've already scared the shit out of the audience using words like that, but it boils down to three things. I'm fucked, I need help, help me. Yeah. Uh, and that was the first three steps. Um, and that's kind of what I found while I was in there. For the first time ever, somebody was able to tell me something about how I was acting and I was ready to listen to it rather than deny it and avoid it, run off or argue like I always did every other time, because the police couldn't get through to me, mum couldn't get through to me, the schools couldn't get through to me, and they all wanted the best for me. I couldn't see that. I just wanted to get off my tits. And then um, they talk about the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel, and that's where it's at. I've got somebody who'd been where I'd been, because I was different, and that's why nobody was ever going to reach me. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I find somebody who the evidence in front of me told me that he was not different from me. I was not different from him or them or these. And I felt connected because addiction is born out of disconnection anyway. Self first and foremost, but by extension, everything and everybody around you. That's why all relationships will get sold down the river quickly because you don't believe they're going to last anyway. Wow. And it must, well, you talk about shame and and loneliness and isolation so I can see how that would um, make it very difficult to well was it luck then really I suppose going ending up in the place in Nottingham yeah yeah I'd say it was I mean I'd, I'd um, I'll, st I'll still use the word God I mean I don't subscribe to any of the world's religions um, but thank God that, that that guy intervened when he did um, because I would have just carried on because I couldn't see anything outside of what it was I could see that my life was turned into shit and the only answer that I had was the very thing that was taking my life further into shit it, it was an horrific cycle that would have probably marched on until death um, and I couldn't see any possibility outside of that myself How how long have you been cleaned now if, if I can ask that In a couple of weeks it will be six years I may ask you something really personal as well. Yep. Um, do you miss heroin? No. Okay. You know why I asked that, don't you? Yeah, no, I've, I've not missed heroin at all since I got clean in 2008. Like I say, it was, it was very easy for me to just let go of that relationship entirely, That's even though it had been there for 10 years. Uh, the alcohol. Every now and again, I flirt with, with the idea of having a drink, but my motives are always very impure. It's always me trying to run away from something when I want to have a drink. You know, a lot of people, they'll drink to increase the atmosphere in a party. I wasn't that kind of drinker. I was an antisocial drinker. Okay. So it wouldn't bring anything to my life. Although I would like to experiment with hallucinogenics again. <laughs> it's very off my tits in the woods on ayahuasca or whatever. But that's a story for another day. Well, yeah, and also that that is a different thing. There is the argument that ayahuasca... I mean, I know a, a doctor who who took it and said, no, it's a fascinating spiritual experience and that's a different thing, yeah. but interesting non interesting nonetheless. And now, of course, because of the journey that you've been on, you now help other people who are, who are where in, that th in, in the system. So uh, uh, people who are clean or people who are getting clean or both. 
Yeah, I try to. So, I mean, I work in the rehab that helped me. It's really interesting because I got kicked out after five months. All right, um, what did you do? I ended up shagging an ex-resident. Oh. I took it off the project. I wasn't doing it on the project, but I ended up getting in a sexual, very brief, I say very brief, and I mean it uh, however, you, however you interpret it, relationship <laughs> with this female. Um, and then uh, the staff got wind of something happening and I informed them what I'd done and they kicked me out. But I didn't like that answer, so I went back and kept scratching on the door like a cat, asking to be let back in, but they did. Um, Why was it important to you to go back and to be let back in? Because that was the place where I'd started to find me. It was, a, it was the first place I'd ever really felt hope. Um, where I'd started to look at myself and begin to accept myself. Um, sounds trite, but find love. Because um, that was something that I never did previously. Um, I don't know. Was it a safety net? Was it comfort? I suppose, yeah, elements of that. Um, but it gave me something that I didn't have before. And I believed that it lived there. I know now it doesn't, but I want to give somebody else that experience. Um, so the guy who approached me in um, in the council offices, right, about six years ago today probably, I don't know, near enough, um, he did what is called a 12-step call. So he introduces me to my step one. That's how it works. Yeah. My 12 brings the next one's one, and then they get to 12 and they do somebody else's step one. Um and it's irresponsible of me to not pass on what was given to me. It's selfish. And as I said before, my, my ailment, affliction, condition is rooted in selfishness. Okay. And how satisfying is it to you to be able to help people? All of it. I've, um, cause like I started there, I, mean, I, I think I spoke to you before, I turned this on about, um, me feeling responsible for people what, when they're not, um, finish the program and then we're realising that we're all responsible for our own choices and consequences but occasionally we get people go through and over the last well yesterday and last Tuesday I've had two completions who I've worked with from the start of them getting in and enabled them to understand the program incorporate the program work with the program succeed at the program gain their lives back and then receive a lot of well earned adulation at the end of which I'm a part of by extension. And I love that stuff. Yeah. Love that stuff. And how much does it hurt when someone doesn't complete the programme for whatever? Because it, it's part of life, isn't it? I, I accept that... I, I, I'm assuming here that that sometimes people aren't always ready to end the journey. No. Um, I mean, I, so there's a lot of terms that go around in recovery circles about or you've not hit your rock bottom, or you've not had enough pain yet. And I believe they're bullshit concepts. You can make the decision without having too much pain. I mean, the most painful point in, in my addiction was around about 2006. I'd had enough. I tried taking my own life. I, I wanted off this plane. Um, how, how did you do that? So I'd, I was selling for two different lads and I ended up losing a lot of drugs and I thought I was going to end up in the woods and I thought I'm not ready for that and I'm not prepared to do this stupid shit I'd have to do to get all the drugs back again so I thought sorry I'll just end it then because there was all kinds of other shit that I just weren't willing to accept endure or whatever um, so I took myself down to a abandoned railway hut um, and I got about 17 or 18 bags of heroin and decided to cook them all up and 
jacked it into my groin because that's what I was doing at the time. Sensible move. <laughs> it's really interesting as well because <laughs> I, I, I can pretty much remember what happened. So so I've I've got I've got the vein and I've I've pushed the drugs into me. Uh, and then my heart has started racing so fucking fast. It's pounding in my chest. And I felt wide awake. Um, and if you know anything about heroin, it makes you a little bit sleepy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, which wasn't right. And then I ended up, oh, now what do I do then? So I've, I've had a steady pond around but, but along these old railway lines. Um, I've got all this stuff going around in my head. I was so scared. Thought I was going to get taken down wards um, by the by the dealers, yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember, and I've heard this. I've heard this off the lips of so many people who've been in similar places to me, because um, the the shame and the self pity and everything is ever present in an addict, and and the uh, feeling of uselessness and worthlessness. And I walking back, and I remember it now. It's like I'm so fucking useless. I can't even kill myself. Remember that idea bouncing around me? That was quite funny. Yeah, no, I can see how that would be, how that would make it. It's you a big laugh. knock to your self-esteem. <laughs> that yeah. acknowledgement is. Um, but I just, just I look back now and like my heart pounding. It was like it was going not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. That was rock bottom then. That's yeah. That that's what I interpret the the biggest amount of pain that I was in throughout the entirety of my using the, the sequence of events that led me to that little railway up. Um, I ended up leaving town for some months after that. I got no consequence come back off it from the two dealers in the end. Um, never saw one of them again. The other one's a friend, or a kind of friend. I mean, I have not really seen a lot of them since I got clean. I don't know what he's up to, but uh, we didn't end on bad terms. Do you have friends when you're, when you're a heroin addict? No. Not, you, you get the odd one. Uh, but I mean, like, because... So something that I'm faced with a lot from clients when I'm at work is the concept of trust um, because part of this being an addict thing, again, is uh, black and white thinking. It's either yes or it's no. It's either love or it's hate. It's either for or against. There is no grey areas as an addict. Um, and so people will look at life in terms of I can't trust anybody. Yeah, That tends to be... Um, and so what... What part of my challenge to these people has been, part of challenge for himself, is to be able to see the lie inherent in that. It's like every time I get on a bus, every time I go to the doctors, every, every time I scored a bag off a drug dealer, I was trusting that what it was going to be was what I was paying for. So I do trust people. Um, and so like in, in those circles, I mean, you, you look at the old mob films, you know, where... Um, like 30 years and they've killed 50 people together and then one of them turns on the other to the FBI. It's like... Nobody is completely 100% trustworthy. Everybody has a weakness. Um, yeah, yeah. And so part of my work for me personally is to, to be able to identify what I trust about a person. Um, so like I have people in my life who I can trust to leave in my flat and they won't make it a mess and they'll look after the place and they'll probably move up and stuff. But they'll be 10 minutes late. And then I have other people who'll be 10 minutes early to meet me, but they'll leave my gaffer shit tip. Sure. And so then, then I recognise who compliments me in what areas in my life and I keep those people close and the ones that don't bring anything, I, I let them sit 
by the wayside and that, that helps me because I, I tried to keep everybody close to me at certain points in my using because I was lonely and desperate. Mm. I'd pretend to be somebody that I wasn't just to try and fit in better and it didn't help. It didn't help at all. Um, so I've learned that I'll just be me and the ones that like it will stick about and I'll have a more meaningful relationship with those people and everyone else can bugger off. Do you know, I'll tell you what I find really interesting actually is that you said about being in prison and didn't think that you had any skills or any, I didn't know about transferable skills. You've got quite a lot now though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, thankfully. I mean, I've, like with going through the uh, the work that I've done, I've been able to see where I used, because, so we, we talk about assets and defects a lot and I don't believe there are assets, assets and defects as clean cut as that. I believe in um, what motivates you is what makes it an asset or a defect. Okay. Stubbornness is generally regarded as a defect, yet stubbornness kept me clean early doors when I got kicked out of rehab. Right, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah. It's, so what's my motivation, and, and so what, why is the most important question? But then you can get bogged down in, in reaffirming who you think you are in that question as well, so... It's, that's some, some, sorry, I'm getting confusing there. No, not not <laughs> at all. I'm really interested because it's a very intense level of introspection, and but it's also comforting as well because clearly you're all right now, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I, I I don't know. Are, are you all right? Because I because I I want you to be all right. I am now. They've upped me meds. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm gonna I feel, I feel I am. So. Um, I keep a watchful eye on my behaviour and I ensure that I am not being too selfish, dishonest, self-seeking or frightened. Um, that's that's what it teaches me to look for in the 12 steps. Um, there's varying levels of dishonesty, there's varying levels of fear, but ultimately everything falls back to them four blocks. All my defects are going to sit under one of them four categories. And I make swift resolution where necessary. Um, I try to help other people because by helping other people, I'm not too self-involved because then I'm back in connection, not disconnection. It's easy for me to go and hide and do whatever it is that I want to do and that will keep me well for a little bit, but I'll start having ideas again. Ideas like? Like going off and having a user. Well, uh, firstly, it starts with dishonesty. I'm going to start lying to people about where I'm really going because I want to keep a secret. I'm doing something that I know other people won't approve of. And slowly over time, that stuff builds up, leads me to a point of such shame that I can't cope with it personally. And that's when the idea to have a use up had happened. Okay. Yeah, yeah the, the the picking up of drugs doesn't just happen. People talk about it like it does and they disempower themselves when they do because they completely miss the process where they went from the one state that was happy without them to the complete fucking despair that they end up in at the back end of it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. Yeah, no, it really does. It does. And it just, it, seem, it seems really to odd to, to ask you what's the plans for the future, but but I mean, but but you have one. No, no, I've winged it this far. And I, I mean, I, I remember about five years ago, my boss at the time, in the same place, but he's moved on now, he asked me what my five-year plan was. I ain't fucking got one. I'm, I'm just winging it and I'll see what happens. And the last five years, it's turned out all right so far. So why break a winning formula? Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks to Ian as well for such an insightful conversation. As I say, I learned a lot from that and I really thought a lot about it as well. Thanks to all the people who have followed the podcast, who've shared it and who've gone onto iTunes and left 
a review if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go and do that i would really appreciate it of course i would and i have more things coming up i i spent a couple of days in the west country and i spoke to some former criminals from the west country and they too were fascinating conversations i won't give too much away right now but i can't wait to put them out so the plan is that i release these every week on a sunday it might be late on saturday night but uh, either way it's a weekly commitment on my part and i hope that you've enjoyed this episode of conversations with criminals please spread the word i would appreciate your help very much and i will speak to you again thank you